Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. dedicated to Henry Farmer. Good afternoon, good evening, good whatever, whomever, however you are. This is Alan Averill. This is Agitators Anonymous, episode 180-something. Um, either time well spent or complete and utter folly. Who knows, who can tell, but we push on, push on over the edge um, to episode 200 and see, and see if the world still stands by then. Today's episode is about something... Um, really interesting that's kind of caught my eye recently. I heard about it back when I was a teenager, the Discordians, um, strange sort of countercultural group and from the 1960s. They were kind of pranksters, um, semi-anarchists. They had a sort of new age, very 1960s countercultural way of looking at the world, but they also did some very interesting and strange things. And I'm going to talk a bit about them in as much as uh, what I know, what I know about the Discordians. Um, And that will be the main body of the podcast. The show, as ever, is sponsored by Metal Blade Records, metalbladerecords.com slash indie merch, or go to www.indiemerch.com slash metalbladerecords. You can use the promo code AA2023 and you can get 10% off your order. You do need that bastard Irish green color of the new primordial album right speaking of the new primordial album isn't it strange isn't it strange that reviewers would tag me or the band in sort of like meh kind of reviews as if i'm going to um retweet re you know link uh, repost oh brilliant you gave us six out of ten well we can't wait to repost that it's either going to be awful or amazing doesn't it really neither one will do where we go oh it was middling um, average band makes average album. Don't link me in that review, please. As with last week, the show is also sponsored by the band Behioch. You're going to hear that in a moment. Um, and if you are listening to this thinking, this seems like a good platform for me to promote my my band, my shop, uh, whatever it is, you know, get in touch. Slide into my DMs. Um, but I suppose I should address a few things before we go ahead with the rather interesting uh subject of the Discordians. 
Um, I, it could have been unwise for me to do a podcast about the Middle East last week, but I think on the balance of things, it would have lacked courage if I did not. I, after all, did one about the um, the war in Ukraine just shortly after um, uh, Russia invaded Ukraine. You can go back and take a listen to that. Um, and so it took me a couple of weeks to process all the inf- info in- about, you know, Obviously, the noise surrounding the Middle East, this is, as I said in last week's podcast, it's something that if if you're of a certain age, you've grown with, up with, hearing about Lebanon and Beirut and all these kind of things and suicide bombers and all that kind of stuff. You came online a long time ago to being aware of the conflict in the Middle East. I suppose for also for people of a certain vintage of a certain age, they will remember hearing constant news about the IRA, about the war in Northern Ireland, that kind of stuff. So I suppose it's it's quite similar in that respect. Um, I temporarily had to shut down a bit of the comment section um, underneath the podcast, which is not something I like to do. But of course, while opposing sides start to tear strips off each other, um, it is, of course, my, uh, my YouTube channel. So whether I like... Whether anyone likes it or not, it does kind of reflect on me to moderate it. Uh, yes, <laughs> there you go. Encapsulated the problems that everyone has moderating everything. But as soon as someone started calling someone else Adolf, well, it had to be done. Um, but it was a clear insight into how things are. My podcast didn't pick a side, but merely tried to put a timeline on some things. Um, that was all the intention was. And I think people, um, you know, uh, projecting bad faith arguments onto that, it's quite disingenuous. But I tried to explain that just as in Irish history, things don't begin, for example, with the Irish Civil War or with Bloody Sunday or other moments. Then I try to point out that these things have context and historical and a very great historical weight and context. But as Godwin's law states... You can go and look up Godwin's Law. In almost every argument there is about politics, someone at some stage ends up calling someone else literally Hitler. Um, The podcast was neither partisan enough for either side, so you end up getting it from both sides, mildly. I thought most of the comments were constructive um, and appreciated the fact that I didn't shy away from the subject. But I think what's partly happened is that for some people, um, this is just the new thing to protest for some people. I'm not saying that was the people in um, who be reached out to comment to me about it. For let's call them the new protesting middle class. Um, you know, the kind of narcissistic middle class white people across the West who are just looking for whatever it is, um, the next thing to protest, to, you know, to validate, to virtue signal and all that kind of stuff. It's not to say that there are, of course, not people amongst them who have genuine concerns. Of course there is. But we can see this. There's a whole new sort of protest class that seems to sort of take this up instead of having, uh, I don't know, a hobby. Um, But what I think they've done is they've placed the structure that Palestine equals George Floyd and Israel equals the cops. They've just kind of placed that as a one-size-fits-all over the entire situation. And... Of course, this is untrue and lacks context and nuance. So the podcast was an attempt to push back against the oversimplification of the situation. Um, in as much as I am um, a dumb singer in a heavy metal band. You understand the contradiction. Um, of course, this meant that I got called both an anti-Semite and pro-Israeli in the same sentence. Uh, the fact remains, though, that one can be against Hamas and what they stand for, but want independence for the innocent average Palestinians being bombed, and also sympathetic to Israel, uh, not only for existing, but defending its borders. Um, these things are 
not mutually exclusive. You can hold both positions. Um, and once upon a time, people did. But in a polarized tribal world, um, this seems to be impossible. But at the heart of so much is the fact that it feeds into the worst elements of our tribalism. And at the end of the day, blood is blood and death is death. And killing of innocent civilians, no matter from which side, is wrong. But I reject the idea that the world is simply divided into categories of oppressors and oppressed. The world is too complex for this narrative for me. Um, if that's how you want to look at the world, okay. And it submits us to a cycle of anti-inquiry and anti-intellectualism in my book. Intersectionality is an intellectual dead end. Anyway, I just thought I should clear that up. And like I said, stop linking me in your average reviews of the new Promodial album. Keep them to yourself, just as maybe I should have kept my opinions about the Middle East to myself. Well, indeed, I didn't. And until, um, you know, the, the digital... Um, social currency system comes along to assess my uh, 280 to 380 episodes of the podcast as open dissent against the state and I get my privileges revoked, you can go back and listen to it. So Discord, Discord, who were the Discordians? Well, I'll just say this first. Also, as promised, I think last week, I was going to announce that the show also has a sponsorship from a band called Behioch, a band from the northwest of Ireland, who originally were inspired uh, by Burzum, Yarn, and Early Primordial. Um, you should be able to hear a little bit underneath what I'm reading now. And I'm going to include a whole song at the end of this chat, so you can, if you stick around for the chat between me and Joe that's coming, you can hear us whole song at the end. Um, Behiach and the new um, release is called Beowulf yeah it's good stuff good stuff very solid um, grim black metal with a bit of Celtic Frost Bathory and some more death metal in it um, and the links to the uh, to the band will be in the description underneath so if you're out there in a band and you're thinking this sounds like a good way to promote something in the future get in touch with me you can do the exact same thing alright so Discord Discord, Discord. Who are the Discordians? Um, well, some of you may know the word, courtesy of the pretty cool band Discordance Access, who I'd recommend going to check out. I'm not sure I completely understand. Um, maybe not understand is not the right word. Um, Discordance Access is a pretty um, difficult but challenging listen. I would go and check them out. Or maybe not. I first came across them in a book about 1960s counterculture. Um, which included, of course, Charles Manson, included, I guess, all the kind of dark, odd, or curious elements of 60s counterculture. And there was many. Um, the Church of the Process, I think it was called, which is where we get Sabbath Assembly from. Um, I really enjoyed the first couple of Sabbath Assembly albums. And, I mean, there's just a myriad of other um, strange uh, political, uh, social um, spiritual, religious shoot-offs from 1960s counterculture. Um, anyway, I thought maybe the most obvious, when I was um, sitting down thinking about this, I thought maybe, maybe the most obvious comparison to today is people trolling or shitposting, but not really, not really. That kind of seems a bit too reductionist and also maybe granting people who are just trolls or shitposting um, too much... Uh, too much weight to the kind of that kind of general childish nonsense, and a bit daft. Um, but they were '60s counterculture pranksters, so maybe at the high end of trolling, this might be trolling the mainstream. Um, 
one of the most talked about things they did was a crazy, uh, well, it was a crazy article published in Playboy in 1979. And also this extravagant, um, well, extravagant is maybe not the right word, but in the letters page, amongst other things, linking the Watergate scandal. Um, which was a wiretapping scandal that ended up with the resignation of President Nixon back in the day, uh, which, when you think about it, is quite incredible. Uh, the kind of thing that caused Nixon to go seems to more or less happen every day to our modern politicians. They smirk, we shrug, and we all get along with the next news story incoming in the next 15 minutes. Brace yourself, here's another um, piece of information for your lizard brain to boil over with. And it's over. The news story rolls on relentlessly. Russia gate or whatever the other gate is, whatever the next gate is, um, it just arrives, bashes you over the head and slowly becomes another popular myth. Um, right now we have COVID inquiries going on over in the UK, fully revealing the government to have done, I don't know, the wrong thing or just to have been all over the place, lockdowns on many levels. Okay, so party gate, party gate, got Boris to resign, but who knows? He might be back. Cameron just came back. The man who brought you the Brexit referendum. Is the mainstream media paying attention? Will they demand political responsibility? Eh, hard to say. Probably not, right? But once upon a time, Nixon um, had to resign. He cried and got in a helicopter and just flew off. And that was the sort of the end of him. Um, except for scenes of him sort of walking wistfully up and down uh, beaches near where he lived. Um, but... There was, uh, what am I talking about? Anyway, back in this 1979, this article became infamous because it linked Watergate to the Illuminati. Um, you heard of those guys, right? In fact, it's only the other day, uh, much against my uh, better judgment when I was uh, looking through Instagram, which is increasingly becoming more like TikTok, isn't it? Reels after reels that just, you, you can just lose an hour of your life to for watching nothing. But I saw the word Illuminati um, in one of these reels and I thought to myself oh god the, the Illuminati myth still persists it still persists um, and this is what they did they linked I think that the pranksters that were involved at the time they thought to themselves well who could we blame for the Watergate scandal and start to propagate this um, crazy conspiracy theory and the authors of the article and the letters um, were kind of left scratching their heads as they saw the discussion about the Illuminati being to blame for Watergate um, be accepted on face value by many people and also launch many other conspiracy theories. It sort of breeds some life into those words, the Illuminati. And like I said, you've probably seen the name mentioned um, on an Instagram reel or something in conjunction with the World Economic Forum or something else. That's just kind of how things just keep rolling and people want to accept these um, far-out conspiracy theories. But here's the thing. The Illuminati, they did exist. They were a real thing. Now, of course, to say they were somehow, they somehow influenced the Watergate scandal is quite insane. But as with many of these things, there are kernels of truth mixed into the story. So just a sidestep to explain uh, who the Illuminati were. I digress to the Illuminati. People are going to love that digression, aren't they? Um, well, what does the Illuminati refer to? Just as a little diversion um, away from the topic of the Discordians while I get to the main body of them. Um, the Alam Illuminati uh, were a Bavarian kind of secret society founded in 1776 by a man called Adam Weishaupt. Um, originally, his aim was to promote Enlightenment ideals, um, but it was disbanded by the government in the late 1780s. 
Weishaupt was a German um, professor. Um, he was a teacher and a philosopher, I guess, who found he founded the Illuminati. Um, and he was only, I guess he was only 30-something uh, years old, and not even 30 when he formed the Illuminati. And he sought to promote um, reason, secularism, and the separation of church and state. Sounds pretty reasonable to me. The Illuminati, uh, their aim was to influence political and social change. But they faced quite a bit of opposition. Um, and uh, like I said, the dissolution was in 1785. But Weishaupt's ideas and their story have kind of since fueled various um, conspiracy theories. Um, but they were in, in, influenced by Enlightenment principles. The Enlightenment now, of course, is, some, is seen as something of a dirty word by used by people um, or to also like some sort of weird um, anti-intellectual put-down of the West or something like this, but mostly for people who don't really know what those values were, in my opinion. But they advocate for reason, for secularism, and the separation of church and state. Oh, yeah, sounds pretty reasonable, doesn't it? Um, but he sought to challenge the oppressive political structures and promote individual freedom. So it's, you know, individual... The principle that the... Um, that you are an individual and do not belong, I said, to this sort of like monarchical collective, state collective, um, and the separation of church and state. Because don't forget, Europe was coming from a time, um, I suppose, at the end of the Middle Ages, where almost everything was the will of God, so to speak. Um, and the Illuminati aimed to achieve these goals through secret influence and education. But the society's secretive nature and perceived threat to existing authorities led to its um, led to its suppression. And the name Illuminati, it comes from the Latin word enlightened. Um, and uh, there was hierarchical levels, members progressing through degrees of initiation, which sort of, um, you know, I think sort of Crowleyanism has echoes of that, and also Scientology has echoes of that, and the idea of revealed doctrine as you progress through, um, you know, as you're more and more, become more and more initiated, um, and you get specific responsibilities. Um, and of course, Weishaupt designated this structure to maintain secrecy and control of the society's activities. But of course, there was infighting and a lot of other things going on. Um, but they faced more and more government scrutiny. I have a feeling somebody was telling tales from the inside. And in 1785, as I said, the Bavarian government, fearing their influence, because they got quite powerful, issued an edict to suppress um, all secret societies, um, leading to their dissolution. But how how does this a name just persist? Um, I, I mean, Johann Wolfgang von Goethe, 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 God damn it, how do you say that? Um, and I mean, these people were drawn to it and many other academics. I mean, it drew sensible people out of the woodwork who recognized these enlightenment, these secular ideals. Um, the extent of the influence, of course, remains a topic of historical debate. Um, and of course, there's conspiracy theories that suggest the involvement of greater powerful figures and that even though um, the organization was disbanded, it somehow continued. So the idea was that these Discordians took this story and ran with it, suggesting that they had been responsible for the Watergate scandal. Um, I think just plucking a secret society out of thin air, they could have picked the Rosicrucians or they could have picked and many other, I suppose, occult hermetic societies of the, um, the 17th or 18th century. But no, they chose the Illuminati. Anyway, let's get back to the Discordians and where they came from. Um, the Principia 
Prince, Principia. God damn it. Principia Discordia was the original manuscript. This was penned by uh, Greg Hill called Malaclipse the Younger and Kerry Thornley. Omar Kayam Ravenhurst. Ravenhurst. There you go. And um, both of those guys, Greg um, was an American writer. And I mean, he's what you call the co-founder. The pair of them founded this Discordianism, this idea. And um, he was a sort of key cult- key figure in the countercultural movements of the 1960s, um, exploring alternative belief systems and unconventional philosophies, which sort of became the cornerstone of this discordiant, well, discordiant ideas, discordiant axis. Um, Kerry Thornley was... Um, a philosopher, and again, the co-founder of Discordianism, along with um, Hill. And he served in the U.S. Marine Corps. Marine Corps. Corps. Oh, come on. Um, Too blackmail for my own good. Um, But he served in the U.S. Marine Corps with Lee Harvey Oswald, which is a very strange connection. The alleged assassin, of course, President John F. Kennedy, and which later influenced Thornley's writings on conspiracy theories. Um, And they both had these pseudonyms, and they co-wrote the Principia... Discordia with Greg Hill, um, blending satire philosophy and irreverent humor, um, and they were, I suppose, just products of their age. They were they were influenced by the countercultural movements of the nineteen sixties, which sort of wholeheartedly was sort of you know uh, across the board for young people rejecting societal norms and embracing. Um, I guess the principle of chaos as a creative force. I suppose you've got to put it in the context of the post Second World War, and. If you think about it, even the idea of there being a teenager, a young person, a young person with different attitudes and music and um, literature and writing and everything else, before you were just considered a young adult and you had probably inherited the um, your your parents' job or the house and all this kind of stuff, and you were expected to live in the same community and to not emigrate, to not move, to not move to the big cities. So you have this huge movement of young people to the big cities. You have a you know musical revolution. You have a sexual revolution. You have a drug revolution. And in the middle of this sits the discordianism. Um, and it's a sort of product of all of those things and a counterculture and a reaction to more structured belief systems. It's a bit of a wild ride um, through the lens of chaos and satire. And I think reading the Principia, Principia God damn it, I will, will say that wrong another 10 times, Discordia, uh, it's probably you need to read it along with something like Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas or go back and read something like Chaos, the book about Manson. Um, but within that, um, you have the sacred text of Discordianism, which I'm going to read to you. Um, it's a sort of playful and irreverent work that um, defies conventional structure. But here's an overview of the main principles of Discordianism, the sort of prankster's code. Uh, one is the goddess Eris, who I'm going to explain who that is. The central figure is Eris, the goddess of chaos. Discordians embrace chaos as a force of creativity and change. Eris is portrayed in a mischievous light, stirring up trouble to keep things interesting. Uh, maybe like Loki or something like this, I suppose, in Nordic mythology. The law of fives. The number five is, is is significant in Discordianism. The law of five suggests that everything happens in five or is divisible by five. Discordians playfully find connections and patterns in the number five, attributing cosmic significance to that. And this, I suppose, is part of their uh, prankster mentality, whereby they could really, I think, pick any number, but they pick the number five. And therefore, it sets in motion um, the idea that you look for patterns all the time, um, even when, I guess, there are none. Three, the Discordian calendar. 
The Discordian calendar replaces the traditional Gregorian calendar with days named after various deities, saints or concepts, reflecting the playful and chaotic nature of Discordianism. Days that are weak are replaced with names like Sweet Morn, Boom Time, Pungen Day. I, I'm not sure I'm really down with um, number three here. It all seems a bit too hippieish for me. However, number four, the Pentabarf. The Pentabarf is a set of five rules or commandments emphasizing individualism and embracing paradox. And you've got me back in now. Notable elements include the idea that a Discordian must have a sense of humor and take nothing too seriously. Nothing too seriously. Um, well, of course, this is something that got sort of... Um, I remember having this discussion with, let's say, black metal luminaries of mine, uh, friends, peers, you know, black metal old OGs. Um, and we often discuss the idea that, um, you know, Satan was... A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Very often in mythology, the prankster, he was the he he had the sense of humor. I mean, if you read, um, you know, Paradise Lost or something by Milton, you will find yourself having an awful lot of empathy for the devil as opposed to the stuck up, stuffy kind of God that he opposes. And the devil seems to have a sense of humor. Um, and that is something that was somehow almost completely lacking from some of the early aggression of black metal. I suppose that's because black metal happened to be mixed along with a certain element of um, nationalism that maybe, you know, on some levels in Europe took it away from those American origins, which maybe would have given it a more pop counterculture um, reference point. Well, maybe, maybe just spitballing there, just talking off the top of my head. But certainly the idea that um, being into black men is something that you shouldn't have a sense of humor. And this should be overruled. And I think would be in the Discordian rule book. The sacred chaos. The sacred chaos is a symbol that represents the dynamic interplay between order and disorder. Ordo ob chaos, huh? Often depicted as a yin-yang-like symbol with a pentagon and an apple. 
Um, it symbolizes the balance of chaos and order, encouraging followers to find harmony in the midst of chaos. Well, now this this is better than the, the daft days of the week, huh? Six, the curse of Greyface. Well, now, I think some people that we know have the curse of Greyface. Uh, I might have even had that on an occasion. Greyface represents the stifling force of order and rigidity. The curse of Greyface is a cautionary tale against taking life too seriously. Discordians believe in breaking free from the mundane and oppressive forces that seek to impose order at the expense of their creativity. Well, now, a society of grey faces. Well, it's, it's, you can see the movie forming. You can see um, that they probably read Orwell and sort of thought, well, we, you know, like, oh, who is up right now apparently attempting to be cancelled because of some random words in a biography or something like this. Um, the cancelling of Orwell, the, the irony is just too much for me and for many people, I guess. Anyway... Let's get back to the Discordians. What are they talking about? The Society of Grey Faces. The snub. The snub is the act of deliberately ignoring or dismissing someone or something, highlighting the power of intentional disregard. Now, if we could just practice that a little bit more on social media, I think we'd be in a better place. huh? In fact, an awful lot of these rules you could apply to um, our life online and it would probably make things a better place. The principle, Jesus Oh, God damn it. Um, the Principia Discordia itself is a mix of humor, contradictions, and unconventional wisdom. Nine, and you may take this as a name for your punk band or your festival, Operation Mindfuck. And that's what the Playboy articles were. They were part of Operation Mindfuck. And this was the idea to engage, as I said, in Operation Mindfuck to challenge and disrupt the perceived reality, reality of others. Playful pranks, hoaxes and subversive acts to shake people out of their mental ruts and promote a more open-minded perspective. Again, very interesting stuff. Ten, Eristic Illumination. Eristic Illumination is a discordian concept of sudden enlightenment or a profound shift in perception. You know when you look around the world, doubling down is praised. Never changing your mind is praise. But it takes a greater man or woman to just change your mind and go, I have become more informed. Um, someone recently said to me, well, you know, I have a quote from you talking about, um, you know, conflict and war and stuff from 25 years ago. And I thought, you know, well, you know, screw this band. I'm not listening to that. And I said, well, you know, 25 years ago, um, I was in my 20s and um, or maybe it was even longer. I don't know. But to hold people to the kind of daft things that they say as part of the impetuosity of youth, um, you know, people are allowed to go. They are allowed, of course, to change their minds. They're, we should be allowed to change. In fact, changing your mind should be a virtue because what it means is maybe you've just become more informed and you, you're not too proud. You're not um, too stubborn to um, admit that doubling down is not a virtue. Anyway, but because losing face or all of these things are now seen as, um, you know, like the ultimate social media negative, this is not what people do. But, heuristic illumination. Um, Discordians seek moments of clarity, like I said. 11. Non-profit irrevocability. Uh, the rejection of the idea of a fixed future or predetermined destiny. Well, I mean, yes, who, who believes in chance, really? Who believes in luck? Not I. The future is uncertain and constantly shifting, and individuals have the power to shape their own destinies through choice and chaos. Well, I certainly believe in that. Twelve, the golden apple of discord. The golden apple, a symbol of virus, um, 
represents the chaos that sparks creativity and change. It is a reminder that discord and disruption can lead to unexpected and positive outcomes. I mean, those are the 12 main principles, and I've got to say, at least nine or ten of them sound uh, pretty good to me. I don't know about you. Um, so, in, all, in essence, discordianism is a kind of celebration of chaos, humor, and individuality. Um, and it, um, we could, could you say Shakespeare was the primogenitor discordian? Uh, possibly. Principles encourage followers to question authority. Question authority. Embrace the absurd and find meaning in the unpredictable dance between order and disorder. The Principia Discordia serves as a quiet... See, I said it right and then I said quiet instead of... Um, Anyway, albeit a playful, it's cryptic one. It's, it's navigating the chaotic waters of existence with a sense of humor and an open mind, which seems to be drastically missing. Now, I mentioned the Greek goddess Eris, or did I say she was Greek? Well, this is really interesting because the figurehead of this religion is a matriarch in principle, I suppose. And the goddess Eris is mischievous and she is the chaotic figure at the heart of Discordianism. Um, and in Greek mythology, Eris is the goddess of strife, discord and chaos, associated with the disruptive force that leads to creative change and unexpected outcomes. Um, Eris played a central role in the mythological events leading to the Trojan War by sowing discord among the gods. Sounds to me like we all need a little bit more Eris in our lives, wouldn't you say? Eris is embraced as a symbol of chaos, challenging the order imposed uh, which is imposed by traditional belief systems. Um, or even, I suppose, in modern terms, the traditional, you know, cultural war norms or the traditional societal norms. Um, the whole principle is like challenging these with an element of chaos and an element of um, a sort of a, a, a dark sense of humour, let's say. And it elevates Eris to a central figure, weaving her myth into the fabric of the belief system. Um, so... Eris in Discordianism is not a deity to be feared, but rather a catalyst for change and a reminder to find humor in the predictable, unpredictable nature of existence. Eris. Now, she sounds pretty inspiring right now. Actually, come to think of it, as I just said, um, maybe we all need some more Eris in the modern day. Is anyone up for starting a new Discordian society? That said, I wonder if groups like um, Anonymous were partly were inspired partly by them. I'm thinking them in the recent terms, and maybe it's because I'm not online as much. I don't know that much about online pranks and that kind of thing. But I'm talking, I was thinking about the recent GameStop um, stock shorting, which brought Wall Street to its knees um, and lost a lot of very rich, powerful people who've been busy screwing um, normal people um, out of their um, savings via the financial collapse of 2008 and all the people who just made tons of money off and, you know, your average person across the world losing their houses and all that kind of thing. It seemed to be a real broadside. I don't know if you know the story, but go and look it up. The game stock, GameStop shorting of the stock where um, a, an organized group of people started to buy up this dead stock of GameStop, um, which, of course, increased the value of it and all the people who were hedging their bets on shorting it, as I, in my dumb brain, try and understand it. And they lost millions and millions and millions, and there was nothing they could do. And um, maybe the modern-day equivalent is forums and chat boards looking to bring down the rich and powerful, resist narratives, push, you know, pushing back on them, pushing back against things. Gamergate, um, perhaps, although maybe I shouldn't mention that because I don't, not exactly 
um, that well informed about it. But you could apply the logic to almost everything and anything that resists the mainstream narrative. But of course, I have a feeling that if the Discordians were around now, what they were doing would be rebranded as mis and disinformation, um, which I believe is, I mean, is going to be a huge thing in the next few years is the sort of freedom of the Internet, the relative freedom of the Wild West of the old Internet is just clamped down on. Um, I think it's going to be well and truly over in a couple of years. Where, um, you know, I mean, we're living in a world where many young people, polled, seem to think the concept of freedom of speech is just gaslighting from the right, you know. And that many people, it seems, would be willing to sacrifice the principle of free speech over um, or sacrifice it to um, causing offence or taking offence. Don't forget that words are violence. Uh, we discovered that in the last couple of years. Um, you know, so so is resisting Orwellian hate speech laws somehow discordian. Uh, I would say so on some level, I guess. So, but what's missing these days would seem to be the playfulness of the whole thing. There was a pr prankster element to the 1960s. And don't forget, the 60s were also a time of huge protests um, and a lot of violence. And certainly the Discordian movement at the time would have been supported by students, by young people. Um, and the new countercultural left as a welcome to the state narrative, a welcome opponent to the state narrative, sticking it to the man and all that kind of thing. But yet the pessimist in me somehow thinks that the same elements and principles um, in 2023 would be somehow framed as right-wing or be framed as um, right-wing by the very system that these um, these uh, principles would try and strike out at as increasingly being against the state is somehow framed in that respect. Do what you're told and be kind and all that kind of thing. But anyway... That article, that article in Playboy seemed to, um, which was a kind of prankster's um, paradise, so to speak. It seemed to have been confused the authors because some of it was taken up the wrong way to be literal, to be absolutely literal. Like I said, the idea that the Illuminati um, was, to, was to blame for the Watergate scandal. Um, but the authors just thought this was so preposterous that it would never be taken seriously. But what they realized is it was by quite a lot of people. I mean, certainly the Playboy article, uh, which was entitled Discordia, Faith in the 20th Century, which was written by Robert Anton Wilson, a name you might know who I will discuss in a moment, and Robert Shea, sort of served as an introduction to Discordianism. Um, you know, the article re uh, introduced readers to the, to the concept, describing it as a, you know, a unique and playful belief system, embracing chaos, humor, and individualism. Um... The sacred texts of Discordianism, the goddess Eris. And they also present Discordianism as a challenge to established religious and societal norms, but specifically religious norms. The emphasis, obviously, on questioning authority, embracing paradox and finding humor in the absurdities of life. This is very interesting if we place it in a modern context, because for sure, one thing that is absolutely missing from the modern culture war discussions is a sense of humor. It is virtually deathly serious where um, everything is taken um, on face value as the most, ex you know, as the most extreme version um, uh, on bad faith, where nothing, there seems to be a complete lack of humour to it. And even though the Discordians sort of present all of their ideas as a sort of opposition to modern uh, religious systems, some of those religious systems which now, in the 21st century, we could say have 
ultimately collapsed, but yet the things that replaced them, at least to me, would seem to have echoes of religious orthodoxy. And certainly having a, a dark sense of humour would seem to be not part of that. But the the Playboy article, which you can find online, sort of serves as a light-hearted, accessible introduction to the ideas of Discordianism. Um, Operation Mindfuck. Now, I skipped over that before, right? And it's a great name for a punk band, if you ask me. Anyway, anyway, so 1979, um, Playboy uh, um, published a letter attributed to Simon Moon, claimed responsibility for the Watergate scandal, implicating the Illuminati. The letter was, of course, as I said, a prank written by Robert Anton Wilson and the aforementioned Robert Shea, authors of the Illuminatus trilogy, which explores conspiracy theories in the Illuminati. You can probably try and find that. Um, but the letter in Playboy, which was claimed responsibility, claiming responsibility for Watergate, implicating the Illuminati, um, it can be considered one of the early instances, instances, come on brain, of blending fiction with conspiracy theories in a modern media context. Um, it, it won't have been the very first modern conspiracy theory, so to say, but it does represent an early and notable example of um, the use of satire and fictional narratives to play with conspiracy themes. Um, the concept of modern conspiracy theories was already present in various forms, but this particular prank contributed to the evolving landscape of, well, how conspiracy narratives were presented and consumed by people, and also how many people just believed it. And it seemed to sort of kickstart it again, the use of the phrase Illuminati, but it showcased like a um, the potential for uh, storytelling and satire to influence public perception. And this was before everything was instant, um, you know, and our perception of real world events. And even if the intent was primarily humorous, it seemed to grow wings and spread beyond that. Um, and the playful and fictional letter, along with the article, added an extra layer of intrigue to the ongoing fascination with conspiracy theories and the secretive Illuminati. Um, and you probably know, you might know the name Robert Anton Wilson. Um, he's a really important name in 1960s counterculture. 1932 to 2007, um, he's an author, philosopher and futurist known for his work in the fields of psychology, conspiracy theories and the counterculture movement. Go and have a look, Robert Anton Wilson. Um, throughout his life, he made, you know, you have the Illuminatus trilogy, which again, along with co-author uh, with, with Robert Shea, um, is a series of satirical and anarchic novels. And anarchy is a word that, you know, kind of underpins some of the discordians idea. Now, you may know anarchy is something uh, more to do with the Antifa and the new kind of modern left and like, the political anarchical systems where, you know, the kind of tearing down of all institutions of um, governance and power and all that kind of thing. Um, but I suppose what they mean in the sense is the idea that we should embrace some of the chaotic moments of life and that there should be an anarchy that resists the sort of the order of things that stifles creativity. And this is kind of what Wilson wrote. Um, and this trilogy is a cornerstone is sort of the exploration of unconventional ideas. Um, Prometheus Rising uh, is an interesting book and it delves into psychology, consciousness um, and personal development. Prometheus Rising, I mean, look, there's a, I'm sure somebody, uh, some black metal band somewhere has a, has a album or an album called that, right? Um, but it's kind of explores more models of human perception and encourages sort of encourages to adopt multiple perspectives. Again, so much of this is about trying to view the world from different angles. Quantum psychology 
um, you know, where Wilson tries to combine psychology with quantum physics to explore the nature of reality and consciousness is also quite a milestone a work. Robert Anton Wilson actually has his own celebration day. It's January the 18th. Uh, and it's a day for enthusiasts to reflect on his work and ideas. So maybe go and try and find some of those books or texts online and have a look at them. Um, I somehow thought that Kenneth Anger was involved. Lucifer Rising, Kenneth Anger, um, which is one of the greatest modern Candlemas songs, by the way, I have to add. Uh, Kenneth Anger is a sort of underground filmmaker and occultist. Uh, although it would seem is not involved with Discordianism or the Principia Discordia. But... Anger is, uh, of course, known for his involvement in counterculture and esoteric interests. Um, I had thought there was a connection, but there seemingly isn't. Um, but, you know, Discordianism emerged in the 60s as a product of the creative and unconventional thinking of a whole bunch of people. And they sort of seeped out into the mainstream. They did lots of pranks and lots of things that they did. Um, and we could sort of sum them up by saying that um, you know, they reject the principle is rejecting authority um, and it, you know, aligning with broader countercultural rejection of traditional authority and societal norms. Um, question your beliefs and embrace personal freedom. I mean, who could really argue, argue with that? Uh, to anti establishment individualism. Um, I, I mean, look, if you've been listening to the podcast for long enough, you know that um, that's one of the greatest things that we saw um, subdued over the last couple of years. Uh, you know, people were, we were told to follow the establishment blindly. Um, but in the 1960s, I think there would have been more of a resistance because this um, this counterculture was huge. And, um, you know, so much so that, uh, you know, the CIA feared it would start a revolution in the United States. Um, celebrate anti-establishment sentiments and emphasized individualism. Um, with, but with a focus on chaos, humor, and individual creativity, playful subversion, Operation Mindfuck, mirroring the you know the counterculture's use of humor. Alternative spirituality. We can see this in the idea of the inclusion of the goddess Eris uh, to add a sort of a different flavor to things, a di you know a different angle to sort of embrace some of the pre-Christian elements of um, our societies and experimental literature and art. Um, I mean, many people have said that at least in the you know mainstream music and art and books and especially filmmaking is in some sort of cultural wasteland, some sort of um, cultural ice age. Especially if you compare what mainstream music is now compared to the mainstream music in 1975. Now, of course, there was the Bay City Rollers, but compare movies from the 70s to movies now, and I think, and I'm not just being old about it. I just don't think they hold um, a candle. Mainstream, uh, the mainstream, the, the victory or the victory of the lowest common denominator, at least in mainstream, the principles of most of the mainstream is almost complete, if you ask me. And I know you're listening to this thinking, God, we should resurrect this heiress God, I think. I suppose one of the reasons I became so interested in them is partly due to the fact that almost everything we take in now seems so apocalyptic. It seems so end times. Everything is an emergency and a tragedy. And we just seem at the edge of a civilizational collapse um, at all times. And it's very difficult to take in so much information all the time without th thinking to yourself, you know what, fuck this. I'm just going to hide in my um, hide in my room and just plug myself in and just play computer games and just try and avoid the end of the world which seems to be incoming from this war and that war and it's a lot to take in for your lizard brains um, and this would provide a much 
needed intellectual break from our obsession with making everything right now not about the, as I said, the end of the world. Uh, I found them quite inspiring. Um, you know, I could do without the silly names of the week and all that kind of thing. But I think back in the 60s and 70s, where your every movement and activity wasn't documented and digitally harvested, it was, of course, easier to create subversion in um, what you would call virgin territory. Uh, not to say, of course, there weren't polemicists and satirists that didn't exist for hundreds of years before. I'm sort of thinking, example, of um, Jonathan Swift or something like that. Um, he, his shadow is cast quite long over Dublin. But um, something sort of tells me that their playfulness and alternative spirituality and embrace of chaos and anarchism would be misconstrued for extremity in 2023. Um, maybe that's just me and my algorithm speaking. And I think it would be quickly branded as either extremely far right or extremely far left. Who knows? It would get just normal, normal, um, normal pranks, we should call them, or subversive ideas or principles would quickly be labeled as conspiracy theory and therefore um, part of some of the most extreme elements of society. Um, and certainly wouldn't be greeted with a sense of humor, perhaps once was. That said, one of the most telling things is that after implanting the idea of the Illuminati in the public's heads is responsible for Watergate, it just kept rolling. And they were astonished to find that people believed in it. So I suppose there's maybe a broader podcast in there about our willingness and want to just believe in conspiracy theories because it just seems... Um, it seems like we want to know, we want a name to place on these things, not to believe that things are actually chaos, that there are many points of light, that there are thousands of reasons why something happens and it's not just here is the reason. Or it's, you know, the will, this innate will we want to have to, you know, to not believe that we're headed on a rock hurtling through outer space. But we have a purpose and a point of existence. Oh, well, Agitates Anonymous. Maybe they were just too smart for the goddamn good. What am I talking about? I don't know if that's been enlightening. Um, I don't know if that was um, really... Was it worth discussing? The Discordians. Go and take a look. Robert Anton Wilson. Um, go and take a look at his books. And uh, I shall see you next week for more nonsense. Don't take me too seriously. And maybe try and employ a few more Discordian um, principles in your life. You might be a bit happier. That's what I'm going to try for the next week. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.